Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible teacher and trainer, Lachelle Lowe-Charde. Hello, Lachelle, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Today, we are going to be talking about how to become a relationship master. And for those that don't know, Lachelle Lowe-Charde is the founder of Wise Heart, an organization which teaches practical skills for personal transformation and thriving relationships. Lachelle created what she calls Mindful Compassionate Dialogue, which integrates her own 20 years of training and experience in mindfulness, hakomi, and nonviolent communication. The system provides a roadmap to engaging in the consciousness and skills that facilitate living from compassion, wisdom, and mindfulness. Lachelle dreams of a world in which becoming a relationship master is a central value in our global culture, a world in which we value and trust the quality of connection with ourselves and others as the foundation for collaborating to create and maintain a thriving life for all. How are you doing today, Lachelle? Doing really well. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. I've been following your work for a really long time now. I remember many years ago, a friend who lived in Portland told me to subscribe to this email list that featured a connection gem of the week. And I always love it when this email comes in because I know that inside there's just going to be some amazing wisdom, some amazing sage advice on relationships. And you've written about tips on communication and empathy and grief and healthy differentiation and so much more. So I'm curious, what brought you to this path of helping others in their relationships and what keeps you so dedicated to it? You've been doing it since 2007. So what drives you? Mm. Yeah. You know, as a little one growing up, I had a pretty difficult family life. But even then, there was a part of me that knew it's not supposed to be like this, or it could be different than this. And so even from a very young age, I started the pursuit of how can it be different? How can I make it different? How can I help others create a different life that doesn't have to contain so much suffering? And so I've had a lot of teachers and helpers along the way and helped others. And through that experience, I know what's possible. And, you know, I have at least a few ideas of what can help us get there. So I try not to get too personal with my guests, but just hearing mm -hmm. your story, I'm curious if you could go back 30 years with your parents or perhaps whoever raised you, like what would you teach them about communication and connection and support? Oh, man, I have had that <laughs> fantasy so many times, um, especially with my dad, you know, growing up when well, he was born in 1925, so very little understanding was available about PTSD, which he suffered from. And so just, you know, just that simple thing of wishing I could go back and help him find the healing that he really need. Um, because unfortunately, his rage and anger and unhealed 
traumas, you know, really affected the rest of us and the people in his life. And so I would love to go back and just help both my parents find the healing resources they needed. So on your path of kind of growth and almost building positive relationship styles from the ground up, Mm. I'm kind of curious almost how long it took you. There's the old joke that we spend the first 18 years of our life being raised by our parents and the rest of our life undoing all the damage that they did to us. Mm. And I'm curious, what was your path towards shifting to being in touch with your emotions and supporting others and empathizing with theirs? Yeah. Well, the... You know, for any of us, growing up in our families is complicated and there's many gifts and resources and limitations, all kind of a jumble there. And I I would say I was lucky in that I suffered so much that I engaged in some pretty extreme behaviors as an adolescent. And after several tries, my parents landed me with a counselor who really opened me up to a whole new way of seeing my family dynamics. And that's where I became inspired to help kids. So I originally started working with kids as a school psychologist in 2003, hoping to teach these kinds of relationship skills, but didn't find that public schools, the system as it stands, has enough space really to approach life in that way. And so I started working with adults. So you've been working with adults for a long time now and teaching Mm -hmm. relationship skills that we'll go into in just a bit. But before we do, I'm wondering what changes have you seen in people when they have implemented some of your teachings? So much. It's so inspiring to work with people who are ready to transform and the students I work with. One of the hugest things is really understanding what empathy is and understanding it as a practical, appliable skill rather than this fuzzy, warm something or or other. And finding that, oh, they can systematically learn to offer empathy. And when they do, it changes every relationship in their life. And the people around them start giving feedback, like, what are you doing? Something's different. You're the best listener I've ever encountered. Like they get this kind of feedback from their family and their community. Uh, the, the other two really big things my students get are working with reactivity and discovering their body as an incredible resource for becoming aware of reactivity and then being able to intervene with reactivity and really understanding how judgmental thoughts and judgmental language is a part of reactivity and disconnects them from the vibrancy of life that they could be living for themselves and in their relationships. And then the last piece that really people talk about a lot is life-serving boundaries, which is one of the 12 competencies that I teach. Well, all of these are a competency in themselves. Being able to stand in your deepest truth I think is the most fulfilling thing you can do in your life. And you really can't do that if you don't know how to set boundaries around what's not working for you in your own decisions and in your relationships. So learning to set boundaries is an incredibly empowering process for my students. That's so beautiful. I want to repeat two beautiful things that you just said. And the first one was judgmental reactivity disconnects us from the vibrancy of life. 
And then you also said, being able to stand in your deepest truth is the most fulfilling thing you can do in your life. Mm, Yeah. So very wise. And I also love the skills that you just mentioned. So empathy, working with reactivity, discovering our body as an incredible resource and also life-serving boundaries. And each one of those could, you know, become a topic uh, for this podcast in of itself. Yeah. And another skill that I wanted to ask you about is Mm -hmm. mindful, compassionate dialogue which is kind of your little invention, but it integrates some things some people might be familiar with, like Hakomi and nonviolent communication and mindfulness. And I'm curious, what does a conversation involving mindful, compassionate dialogue look like? Yeah. Mindful, compassionate dialogue isn't a skill, it's a system. So it's a system for personal transformation, agency, empowerment, accessing wisdom and mindful engagement with life. And so to say, what does it look like in a dialogue is kind of like asking, well, what does love look like in a dialogue, right? It's, it's really a system of, well, how do we access, you know, for me, love is connection and many things in life, right? There's many ways of expressing love. But I would go ahead and highlight three particular things If I have to distill mindful, compassionate dialogue down into what you might observe, if you are watching two people operating from this consciousness, set of skills, mastery and understanding. And the first is that they would consistently bring awareness to the quality of connection alive in the present moment between them and inside themselves. So this is kind of like If you're listening to the radio and you notice there's a little static, you reach over and you adjust the dial. Oh, well, people don't have dials anymore. But however it works, you adjust the signal so that there's no static, so that there's a clear message that's coming through in the way it was intended and to its intended audience. So any given moment of relationship and dialogue is just like that. That if we're bringing attention to the quality of connection, we're making adjustments. And we do a lot of that unconsciously. And if you do something unconsciously, you get an unconscious response or result, right? So then in this work, we're trying to become ever more conscious of how we're adjusting that dial of connection so that it can serve the intended purpose of whatever's alive in in that relationship in the moment. The next thing we would notice that goes along with, you know, adjusting that dial on the radio is responsiveness. So just like you respond to what you hear as you're adjusting your radio, you respond to the feedback that you get from the other person. And this is mostly nonverbal, really. We think about dialogue as verbal, but I think of it as this broad category of... mm, how we interact, how we respond to each other. So feedback includes tone of voice, body language, cadence of voice, volume, eye contact, and of course the content. The content is really the last thing we're actually responding to in a given interaction. We're first responding to all those nonverbal cues. And again, we're trying to track that more and more consciously so that our response can be conscious. And then our response can be in alignment with the, our intention for that moment. 
right? What particular needs are we, do we want to meet in the relationship in that moment? And that comes to the last piece. So in this last piece, what you would observe is that those two people, let's say they're two people you're observing in this consciousness of mindful, compassionate dialogue, those two people are tracking whether or not the quality of connection is serving the universal needs that they want to meet together in the moment. So in other words, if you're at work, you need a particular quality of connection. You don't need the quality of connection you need with your romantic partner, let's say. But at work, you want just enough connection so that the two of you are collaborating in that work project and you're meeting needs like focus, efficiency, right? And you're able to adjust that connection relative to whether those needs are being met. So those are the three things I would highlight. So those are really beautiful. So what I'm hearing is one, we want to bring awareness to the quality of connection alive in the moment. And two, cultivate level of responsiveness rather than reactivity. And then three, track whether the quality of connection is serving the universal needs in the moment. So recognizing that the relationship that you're in is going to look different depending on whether you're at work or with your family or with an intimate partner. And, you know, I'm thinking of another phrase along the lines of, if you think you're enlightened, you should spend a week with your family. (laughs) And a lot of people, maybe they go to a meditation retreat for a month or a week and they feel totally at peace with everything. And then they go home and they immediately drop into that kind of same reactivity that they were Mm. in before. Or you're like, okay, I'm going to be really empathetic. And then you meet with like your crazy uncle and they're like, climate change is a hoax and masks don't work. Or just like mm-hmm. like inflammatory responses that bring up a lot mm-hmm. in you. So I'm curious about how we bring how we bring these principles in our lives when it's hard. Even in long-term relationships, we often get into the same like trigger points that don't seem to resolve themselves. Mm-hmm. So when the rubber hits the road, how do we continue to bring these principles of mindful compassion dialogue into our relationships? Well, you you know, with your example there of coming from a retreat, you're really hitting upon what I'm most passionate about, which is to live our spiritual values in relationship. So whether that's sitting on a cushion or, you know, going to your church or your synagogue, whatever it is, that those deepest values, that deepest truth that you're trying to connect with in that spiritual practice and embody, that there's a vehicle for you to bring that into your relationship. And that's what Mindful Compassionate is all about, bringing those values forward. And so, yeah, it's a broad question about how to do that moment to moment. I would recommend that people who are new to this work start with self-empathy and empathy. And my website, wiseheartpdx.org, has lots of free resources, including the one you already mentioned, which is the Connection Gems. But on there, you can print out a feelings and needs list. So universal needs is kind of a very incredibly powerful concept that uh, was introduced originally by Marshall Rosenberg of Nonviolent Communication. There's Many modalities of personal transformation and healing that mention needs, but none do it as clearly and precisely as Marshall did in nonviolent communication. And so first to just start to recognize, oh, every human being has a set of needs, no matter where they live or who they are. 
And everything they do is meant to meet a need or be in alignment with the need. Sometimes it works better to use the word value, be in alignment with one of these universal values. And so if that's true, that's part of how you can wake up to what am I doing in my life? Like rather than evaluating your actions or someone else action, someone else's actions as right or wrong, appropriate, inappropriate, right? Fill in the blank. You start to evaluate relative, does this action really meet the needs I'd like it to meet? And even that question is kind of an advanced question because when my students are first learning, they're like, wait a second. First of all, I've never seen this list before in my life and didn't know I had all these needs. Second of all, I don't have any idea why I made that decision or what need I was hoping to meet, right? So there's this learning curve of understanding like, oh, as a human being, these are the needs I have. And then beginning to recognize, oh, with this person, when I had that conversation, I had this need. Oh, and I was hoping this job would meet these needs for me, right? And then people start to make those connections. So that's the most practical place to start, learning the needs list. In the long term, it goes much deeper than that, right? And there's these principles that we're trying to incorporate, understanding that if we trust a quality of connection more than being right or doing what we should think we should or what people tell us to do, that will really open up doors in our life. I think that's a really important concept for people to recognize that we all have a universal set of needs, needs for safety, security, love, connection, and we are all trying to get these needs met. And then it's the methods that might need to require some adjustment. Like even right now, I might scroll through my Facebook feed and I have somebody who can't wait to get the COVID vaccine because they really want safety in their lives and they don't want to get sick from the virus. And then I have another set of people who we might call an anti-vaxxer, but who says, no, I don't want the vaccine because I want to feel safe in my body. And mm-hmm. then it all comes down yeah. and the, while it seems conflict, it's actually like, it's actually the same need, right? Yeah. It's the same human need that we all experience. And we can tap into that and look at how can we meet those needs together. And my next question is kind of when I think about mindful, compassionate dialogue, I wonder, it, you know, right now when you have like two people in a workshop or maybe two people in couples counseling, they're there because they both want to improve and they both want to learn it. And I'm wondering what you recommend when you learn about as an individual learn about this and want to bring it into your life because i know a couple of things tend to happen in relationships is one a lot of times there's one partner who feels like they're growing a lot in like one area like they're reading a bunch of books and online communication or something you know they made a new year's resolution and are making all these changes and their partner hasn't and then they feel like they're getting separate as a result but also, I just imagine, you know, somebody learning these skills and coming into the workplace and people don't know at all the principles behind them. So if mm-hmm. I'm as an individual, I really want more empathy in my relationships. I really want more connection. I really want my dialogue to be more mindful and compassionate. How do I bring others along with me? Well, there's a few things to consider with that question. There's the more difficult part of you won't bring everyone along with you. And so that really requires, you know, as you pursue your own personal transformation and skill and relationship and sense of connection with life, 
then there are some people who will drop out of your life. That's not their path right now. And you will find that you'll need to set boundaries and not interact with certain people anymore. And that's just a natural part of the growth process. And then there's other folks that, you know, you probably won't give up on for the entirety of your life. And, you know, of course, usually these are family members, parents and siblings and such. And so I think that requires incredible equanimity and to have a long-term vision and to really recognize where you're getting your needs met. So if you have a relationship with your mother in which you know you're not going to give up on, and currently your needs for empathy are not met in that relationship, but you're going to continue to show up in that relationship the best way you can, then you might commit to every time you talk to your mom to only offer empathy when your mom offers a criticism or a should or something you don't enjoy, to only respond in empathy. And so it might be that your conversations are quite short, right? For Because you want to get off the phone before you fall back in the same old dynamic of arguing with your mom or whatever it is that you do. And it also will be important in that process of not giving up on certain people in your life that you meet your needs elsewhere so that you can show up to those relationships that are primary for you in a whole new way and be consistent about that. And of course, it's not just going to be about offering empathy. That was an example. It'll probably be a combination of the 12 competencies, nine foundations in Mindful Compassionate Dialogue. Sometimes you'll show up and you'll just be offering empathy. Other times you'll offer honest expression and have a request that someone say back what they're understanding. Other times you'll show up and set a boundary. The important thing will be for you to set yourself up for success so that you can stay grounded in those relationships. And when you start to fall off your center, that you can set a boundary and walk away before you're back practicing that old reactive dynamic. I think that's important for a lot of people to recognize that once we sort of gain a healthy level of self-esteem and a healthy love for ourselves, and we do start to put up healthy, life-serving, self-serving boundaries, that sometimes does involve leaving your relationship, leaving your job, leaving, yeah. you know, not talking as much to a family member because yeah. it's not serving you. Yeah, yeah. It's a part of the process. In Mindful Compassionate Dialogue, when we talk about life-serving boundaries, then we talk about it's not a cutting off or a hardening of the heart, but it is a heart-connected choice to decide to interact here and not interact here. So the difference is that a boundary doesn't have to be this, this dampening down of your heart. You can still wish those people well that you no longer interact with. And that's the difference. We go on to be more expansive and loving. And that doesn't mean we don't make some hard choices about where we direct our attention and intention. I love that heart-connected choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every day we want to make those heart-connected choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in setting healthy boundaries, there are some people we're going to stop interacting with. Some people will interact with less or in a different way. And then you also mentioned there are some people we don't want to give up on, family members or perhaps our partner. And I wanted to 
shift into talking about the basics of relationship repair, which was the subject of one of your emails, which is another way of not giving up on people. A lot of people maybe have a conflict with a friend and rather than deal with it, they just don't talk to the friend anymore. And a lot of couples also, you might get into an argument and both feel very justified in their point of view. They feel very justified that they are right and the other one is wrong. And there's a huge chasm between the two. So when we do encounter conflicts in our relationship, how do we go about repairing them? The number one thing to remember is that we're never arguing about some decision or some what I call content. So we think we're arguing about who flirted with who at so-and-so's wedding, or we think we're arguing about what you forgot, or on and on. The list is long. Parenting, sex, money. Those are, you know, some of the most popular yeah. house chores are very the popular. Dishes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're never arguing about those things. So that requires a fundamental shift in consciousness. What we're really arguing about or what stimulates an argument is a sense of threat or confusion regarding each other's universal needs. When we really integrate that understanding, we move what we trust from clarifying the content of the argument, who did the dishes or if you're withholding sex from me, or what the right parenting method is, you can imagine there's these little tendrils of involvement that get tied around and entangled in those topics. And if you imagine that's a big ball of yarn and those tendrils are being pulled out and they're spread out. And with each tendril, there's a beautiful, shining, universal need. And we put our attention on those needs. Just now, when we were arguing about finances, what was really alive for me in my heart was knowing that you see my need for security. When the other person says, ah, yeah, right. Just now, when we were arguing about finances, what was really deeply alive for me was knowing that you see and respect how important discovery is for me in my life, right? Which might be related to them taking adventures or new classes or whatever it is for them. And so that's a fundamental sense of moving what you trust to trusting that connection with needs to then opening the door to a whole new level of creativity around the strategies to meet those needs, collaboration, right? Care for each other. It reminds me, many episodes back, we had a relationship coach, Tobin Zivin, and one of the questions he encourages couples to ask is, what does my heart want to say to your heart? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I love your sentence. Bypasses the mind. Yeah, I love your sentence prop. What is alive for me in my heart? So yeah. we drop out of the mind, which is talking about the issue, you slam the door so loudly and yeah. And once we drop into the heart, then we get into, oh, wow, I was just feeling scared because I need peace and security in the house. Yeah. And you say that so easily, Zach, because you've been studying this work. So I just want to highlight that, oh, I need peace and security. It's so important to be able to know what is that list of universal needs? Because if not, the mind just does loops. I need you 
to be considerate. Well, consideration is a need, but as long as there's the loop of, I need you to be, right? And Mm -hmm. there's this demand energy, we can never drop into that fulfilling sensation of, oh, my beautiful need of peace and security. And what would I like to ask for and have heard about that in order to create a connection? Yes. And even for me, it's still a practice, you know, because you just said, I need you too. And it's so easy how you can fall prey to switching it around. It's like, how do you feel? I feel like you're being a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it is that. Yeah. Our English language doesn't really support us very much Mm -hmm. in the way we've been taught to speak. Unfortunately, feelings and needs get mixed up. So I feel like we're getting close to... We're really developing the skills for connection and intimacy in our relationship. And I wanted to move into today's topic, which is how to become a relationship master. And what does it mean to be a master of one's relationships? Yeah, big question, right? My sense of that is when you're experiencing mastery in your relationships with yourself and others, your relationships become a vehicle for awakening to the best we can all be in this life. And so you have a simple confidence that you can thrive in your relationships and you can contribute to the thriving of others. It means incorporating all these things I've outlined in mindful, compassionate dialogue, you know, like to create connection, to set a boundary, repair, like we've talked about. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about, oh, never getting reactive or always understanding someone's needs. But it's more this attitude of confidence that no matter what happens, no matter how much reactivity or disconnect or argument, I can access what I need to come back and repair this relationship or to set a boundary with this relationship and continue to live from my deepest values. So... I know it's your dream where people become relationship masters. And I often do wish that in K through 12 schooling that, you Mm. know, you took a class on empathy and took a class on these needs. And I'm wondering, yeah, how do you see a world? Some days, actually. (laughs) It will happen. It will happen. We're just going to keep dreaming into it. Yeah. I wonder how you see, what do we need to change uh, in our world? To reprioritize love and connection in our lives? It's a very broad question. (laughs) (laughs) Changing your world, just like many pop songs or all kinds of things, cliches say, begins with yourself. And so there's a lot of little things you can do in your day to reprioritize, starting with setting your intention. I was surprised and had some grief when I recently taught a class. And part of teaching the class was helping people set an intention every day. And I was astounded to find that many of the people in the class did not have that simple ritual. Wow. Wow. There's nothing more powerful you can do than every day set your intention to live from your values. No matter how you say that to yourself, right? Maybe it's not verbal. Maybe part of setting your intention is just looking at your favorite tree for three minutes. Maybe part of setting your intention is giving a loving hug to your child. But you know that every day starts 
with the energy of that intention. And then you could come, you know, if you want extra credit, you know, <laughs> extra karma credit, come back every night and do, do a review of your day. I set my intention this morning. Let me just review how that intention played out. Not with self-criticism or a sense of failure or hopelessness, but just like noticing, oh, here's where that intention naturally came forward, right there in that interaction where I was busy doing something and I took the time to look up and chat with that neighbor as they went by, right? I didn't become too self-involved in my gardening project or whatever. That's a place to start. It is true that setting our intention can be so powerful and how we need to combine that, as you mentioned, with kind of a repetition, doing it day by day by day. Yeah, You know, when people start practicing embodiment, start practicing mindfulness, a few months go by and then suddenly like, wow, I didn't yell back at my boss today. (laughs) Like This like small thing like happened and it's because we've been cultivating these qualities within ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they ripple. They ripple out. So we've talked about a lot of really amazing skills, setting boundaries, relationship repair, empathy, responsiveness, setting intention. And I'm wondering what we've missed. So what are some other practical skills that we can utilize to become a relationship master? (laughs) Hmm. What we've missed is the process of it. So we've talked about the content and kind of the topic areas and the consciousness with setting intentions and trusting connection. And the process is another aspect. And the process of personal transformation and creating a global shift in consciousness to one of love and connection is the same for anything you want to learn, playing the piano or learning to play tennis or learning the waltz. It requires consistent dedication, right? Well, first our intention, as we talked about, consistent dedication, support from others who are a little ahead of you on the path, a depth of self-examination and reflection, right? Even when you're learning the simplest skill, like I live on land that we're restoring to native habitat and friends of trees came out and planted trees with us. And even in something as simple as planting a tree, if you're planting thousands, there's a strategy, there's a technique, right? So the person with friends of trees watch you plant the tree and then they give you feedback. You reflect on what you did. So, so important in gaining these skills and changing our consciousness. Reflect, 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 and reflect with feedback, right? Oh, what worked? What didn't work? What do I want to try differently next time? And then, of course, there's courage, right? We need this courage to risk a new level of intimacy with life, to risk experiencing and doing something new. I really appreciate you almost elucidating the process of personal transformation. I feel like it's a word tossed around a lot. Take this workshop, you'll, you know, this breathwork workshop is going to transform yourself over two hours. Yeah. But consistent dedication, getting support from others, a depth of self-examination, reflection, getting feedback from others and finding the courage for a new level of intimacy. And I want to ask you a little bit more about your spirituality because you mentioned it a few times. He's like living in line with our deepest values and also using relationships as part of our spiritual practice, part of our practice of awakening. So I'm curious what spirituality means to you. And I want to contrast it with a lot of 
in-depth spirituality requires a certain level of asceticism or monasticism, or in Sanskrit it's called brahmacharya, which is celibacy. You know, you become a monk, you become a nun. A lot of times you have to swear off or make a vow not to have intimate relationships in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious when you talk about awakening and when you talk about using our relationships as a tool and as a path for our awakening, what does awakening and what does spiritual development mean to you? Well, let's do a little sorting. So when you kind of had that list of asceticism, celibacy, and the list goes on depending on the tradition you're looking at, right? The tradition asks you, from someone outside the tradition, it looks like it's saying, you have to make some sacrifices if you want to be spiritual. So I want to reframe that, and, and hopefully what will be a more accessible way is that all those are strategies to help you clear your mind and heart so that you can receive guidance from something bigger than you, so that you can attune to what's really happening, right? We are beings that are conditioned, deeply conditioned by things around us, by our interactions, by many, many things. And so over time, we develop kind of a conditioning fog, right? And that's what the Awakening to Whiteness movement that I hope folks are engaging in to combat racism is that, at least here in the United States, I know every country has its own dynamic, that we have to defog, as white people, we have to defog our glasses of racism that we've been conditioned into. And so spiritual traditions are saying, defog your glasses. You can't receive the inspiration of something larger than you if you're entangled in all these things you've been exposed to. So take care of your mind and heart, I think is the deep message of any spiritual tradition. And how you do that, right? Every tradition has its strategies. But you need to find one that really resonates for you. Meditation is popular among almost any spiritual tradition that you need to take some form of quieting, whether that's centering prayer or vipassana meditation, right? Whatever tradition that comes from. And then, so then with, from that quiet place and inside yourself, then you learn to love yourself and love others. I mean, it's basic in that sort of way, right? You realize that at the most fundamental level, we are here to love, to learn to love more fully. We are here to embody unconditional love. And that unconditional love is not a feeling. It's just what is when we are in a profound lack of judgment. Amazing. We are here to love and to learn to love more fully and embody unconditional love. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your heart knows it's true. Everybody's heart knows it's true. It's just a matter of finding our way to that knowing. So there's a really important concept you just iterated, which is that we all have conditioning. Yeah. And our society conditions us to be a certain way. We live in a very individualistic society, a very materialistic society. And many would also argue that there are still lots of remnants of racism and sexism and classism yeah. that keep our heart small and keep it closed. Yeah. And we have to defog. We have to remove the weeds in the garden. We have to 
decondition and unlearn so much of these patterns. And in the clearing of the mind and heart, that's where yeah. we find that unconditional love. That's right. Oh, wow, Lashal, I've been so very much enjoying our conversation today. I feel like I'm sitting in this like amazing garden, just sipping tea and just talking <laughs> about love and life and to this great sage who's done really amazing work on yourself and with others and doing really amazing work in the world. So I very much appreciate you coming on to the show. And it's funny Thank because you. I'm going to have to ask this last question, but I feel like you already answered it. But the question that I love to ask all of my guests at the very end of our interview is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? That it is your reason for being here. Ah, absolutely. Love is why we are here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lachelle, for reminding us of the love that we are here for, of the love that we have, and to remind us to cultivate love. And thank you so much for your work in the world of helping others love more. Thank you. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you and find you, where can they go? Start with my website, wiseheartpdx.org. And you'll find a lot of free resources on there and sign up for the Connection Gem. So you can have a consciousness reminder every day of the ways love can manifest in your life. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing with us your wisdom. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you recognize that love is a skill. Empathy is a skill. And like any skill, the more you practice it, the more you set an intention to have it in your life, the more it will grow. Some of those skills are setting life-serving boundaries, repairing, empathy, responsiveness, all of these things you can grow. And why would you want to grow it? Because love is why we are here. We are here to love and to learn to love and to more fully and embody unconditional Yay. love. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> if you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Lachelle. Thank you, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.